You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, if you're new with us, just in case I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe. So we're going to dive into, into the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. This is kind of where we left off. And so before we, before we go there, if you would just bow your heads with me, I'd like to pray over God's word before we begin. Father, as we gather this morning and as we open your word, Lord, uh, I just pray, God, that you would, you would help us, that you would help our hearts and our minds. But I know that each of us comes here this morning with, with just certain things going on in our lives, certain things that take our attention. And Lord, I know that as we, as we talk about you and as we talk about what you want for our lives, and as we talk about how you have sent your son, that at times we can get a little bit off in our understanding of, of who Jesus is and, and, and what he has done and, and what you want ultimately for us. So God, as we open your word, I pray, God, that you would speak clearly to us this morning and that you would help us to maybe come to a fresh revelation or fresh picture who Jesus is. I pray that for each of us. I pray that our hearts would be open. I, I pray that our minds would be decluttered. I pray, God, that you would do a work of transformation through the power of your spirit and the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 18 through 22. And here's, here's the question I have for you. If somebody were to ask you, who is Jesus, what would your answer be? Let me ask this question again. I know that kind of seems maybe dull and boring, especially when you live in America, which is quote-unquote kind of a highly religious place to live. If somebody were to ask you who is Jesus, how would you respond? Would you maybe be afraid to respond and answer the question? Would Jesus just be simply a wise person that you uh, love to read? Would Jesus just simply be somebody who was maybe a prophet? Or would Jesus be... Something more than that. And that's what the question that our text today is dealing with. And as I think about this question, I think about this, this concept of, of progressive revelation. So I want you to write that down. They're big words. Progressive revelation means that at some point you may have this revealed to you about Jesus. And then as you continue in relationship with him, you begin to learn more and more. I want you to think about this in terms of any other relationship. It's no different. Like Nate and I have known each other for maybe six, seven years now, right? And, and Nate and I have learned more and more about each other as we've continued in relationship. I could easily tell you that I know him better now than I did six or seven years ago. This is easy for us to comprehend. This is the idea behind progressive revelation, meaning that when you meet Jesus, when you begin to follow God, when God reveals himself to you in this moment, like there's this moment where you go, wow, mind blower, God is real. And then from that point forward, he continues to reveal more and more of himself to you. This is what happens as we read the scriptures. When you start in the beginning of the scriptures in the book of Genesis and you move your way through, it's a progressive revelation whereby God continues to progressively reveal himself to you so that you know more and more of him. I would say that there is nothing more important than this one question that we are asking today. This question, who is Jesus? 
And I think out of that question comes all these other questions. Like, once you land on who you think Jesus is, it affects your life radically. It affects the way that you live. It affects the way that you treat people. It affects the way that you think about yourself. It affects the way that you read scriptures. This question and the way that we answer it affects everything. So you ever had one of those days... Ever had one of those days in your life when everything kind of seems to go on tilt and everything kind of falls down? And like you're left at the end of the day feeling like you just got kicked in the gut or somebody just ran you over with a bus and you're kind of left standing there going, what the heck just happened today? You know what that day is like when the wheels kind of fall off the bus and you just can't see clearly through the uncertainty of life and you don't know what the outcome is going to be like. This is the problem of life, isn't it? I mean, this is where you you get that new job, right? You get that new job, and then a week later, you get let go for something that's really stupid and petty. Or you get married, and a year later, you find out he's not as fun and bubbly as you once thought he was, right? Or maybe you expected some great big tax return, and the the CPA calls you, and he's like, oh, sorry, I made this huge mistake. You actually owe money? And you're left like, what the heck just happened? I mean, this is the story of life for us. There is nothing that is certain Everything for us is uncertain. We don't know what the next moment will bring, what the next minute will bring, what will happen in our lives over the next few moments. And yet what what Luke is writing throughout the gospel of Luke is he's wanting us to be certain and sure of who Jesus is. He's he's basically saying, "Look, look, in the midst of complete uncertainty, I want you to be certain about who Jesus is. He wants us to understand who Jesus is. And throughout the first nine chapters, this is what Luke has been doing precisely is is spelling out for us or painting the picture of who Jesus is. Listen, you and I are certain of nothing. The next moment can bring about such tragedy that your entire life can feel like, why am I even here anymore? Why am I even doing this anymore? Why do I still continue to pursue that relationship or that friendship when that friend of mine just stabs me in the back every time I turn around, right? Or maybe it's that you've hired someone and handed off a part of your business to them and then find out a few months later they ran it completely into the hole. There's nothing certain. No No matter how many things you put in place to give yourself assurance, there's nothing certain. You can have assurance of nothing except Christ. Philip Ryken says that the most important question in the world is this. That this question, who is Jesus, is the most important question in the world because Jesus is the most important person in the universe. And the problem with that is that we all think we are the most important people in the universe. I think me and mine and what I'm about to get from me and mine is the most important. Which is the reason that when somebody stabs me in the back, I get so butthurt over it because I'm the most important person in the universe. And what the scriptures ask is not what is best for you and I. The scriptures ask, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Who is he? What's the answer you would give in that moment? Would you run in fear? Would you bow out? Let me ask this question a different way. What does your life say about who you say Jesus is? Because quote-unquote Christians in America, spoiled, rotten brats that we are, this is what we do. 
We say, Jesus is my savior. He's my homeboy. And then we live in ways that completely defame his name and kick the crap out of people who pursue us and ask us to change. That's that's not my God at work in people's lives. It's not just verbally can you give this answer, but what does your life say? As we continue to study just these short couple of verses, you will see and you will find that what Jesus is doing in this text, as Luke unpacks it, Jesus is literally cracking the door open. Luke, you know, in, in his own way, is writing this story here in a few minutes as we dive into it. He's writing it in a way that like cracks the door open so that we can begin to see more and more of who Jesus is so that our answer becomes more and more clear, more and more certain, more and more sure. It's answering the most important question about the most important person in the entire universe. So let's begin. Let's begin in Luke 9, verse 18. Read this. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Now now catch this for a minute. As we study our way through this text, this is the the big question. Who is Jesus? And and there's going to be three different answers as as you may look at it. One is what the crowd says. Two is what the disciples had to say. And three is what Jesus himself says. Now, I want you to think about this. What he asked the disciples to begin with is, hey, hey, guys, pull aside with me for a minute. I got to ask you this question. And this question is this. Who do people say that I am? Who does the crowd say that I am? And who does MTV say that I am, right? Who's the Discovery Channel say that I am? Who do your friends say that I am? Who do the people at your job say that I am? Who do the people in your church say that I am? And the disciples answer, like, well, you know, I think a lot of people are thinking that you're, like, either a prophet, like, raised back to a life, like maybe John the Baptist, because John the Baptist had great crowds following him. Or maybe you're like Elijah, because Elijah spoke truthful things very powerfully, very prophetically. Or, or maybe you're even one of the prophets of old. And, and there's, there's some truth, I think, in, in what the crowds are saying. At times, we can, we can watch what's bubbling up and what's filtering up in the crowds around us to see the truth of what's there. Because the truth is this. Jesus is a great and mighty prophet. Listen, there, there are many prophetic voices competing for your heart right now. And many prophetic voices competing for your heart. There are many things happening in our world and in our day and age. All you have to do is click on Facebook and you'll see it. The cares of this world, the desires of our hearts, the desires of the flesh, those old sinful patterns in our lives. There are many voices competing prophetically, if you will, for our hearts this morning. And the reality is this, that when, that when you begin to follow Jesus, Jesus steps into your life and into your heart and into your mind, and he speaks prophetically to you. He, he speaks truth into your life. 
And we know that the scriptures say that, that, when, that when we hear the truth, that when we know the truth, the truth will set you free. Ask yourself this question. Why are there so many Christians today? And why are there so many churches today where the truth has not set them free? Because they don't know Jesus. So we've bought into a heresy as a church in America today that we can claim one thing with our mouths and live something else with our lives. It's heresy. It's the truth stretched. It's called deception, my friends. Jesus is not the face of destruction. Jesus is not the face of slavery. Jesus is the face of grace. And Paul would say this, so then should I continue sinning that grace may abound more? Heaven forbid, Paul says. Heaven forbid. So when Jesus steps into your life prophetically and preaches and speaks the truth to you, I mean, here's some things Jesus says. If you're not tracking with me, land on this for a minute. And Jesus looks at people in the Gospels and says, go and sin no more. How could Jesus say that? And yet here in America, we say, well, everybody sins. That's a cop-out. That's a humanistic cop-out of pansies who don't want to really follow Jesus with their lives. Jesus speaks prophetically, and the truth sets us free. The whole idea behind prophecy is this. Man, when a prophet speaks, either A, speaks the truth into a situation right there for that moment and for that time, or B, he speaks the truth about a future event getting ready to happen. <coughs> Most of what you see today, I believe, is prophetic preaching of the truth for this day and this moment and this time. And let me tell you, the times that we live in are dark, my friends. They're dark. And the scriptures say that when Jesus came, he came to be a light in a dark place. And that the, that the darkness cannot dispel the light. But when the light comes in, the darkness scatters. The darkness scatters. That's something else that Jesus says prophetically. When you're thinking about things that Jesus says. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. Right? There's no other way to come to God in heaven except through Jesus. So the problem with America today, the problem with us a lot of times is we are so inclusive that we want to include everyone. And the reality is this, the love of God has the power to include everyone. Has the power to. But by saying yes to Jesus and by following him, what happens is you immediately exclude some. You exclude some. Because those who refuse to follow him, not just in word, but in their lives and in deed as well, will be excluded. The gospel message is this. Think about the gospel and how it ties into this message of Jesus being a great prophet. The gospel message is this, man, that God created each of you and I, every person on the face of this planet was created in the image of God, meaning we are meant to mirror him. Look in the mirror before you get up in the morning, or when you get up before you leave in the morning, and you see your image in it. This is the way it's to be for the world. 
is that those who claim the name of Christ are to mirror image Christ to the world, right? You're to be a mirror image to the world. But the way that you live your life, what happened is sin entered the world and mars that. It like smokes up the mirror, so now you have a distorted image. The sin distorts every one of us. It breaks down our relationships. It breaks down the way we think. It breaks down the way we live. And it makes a mess of the desires of our hearts when we begin to desire things that are not godly. And then what happens is that mirror image of Christ that we were created to be is broken. And we can't fix that. We can't fix that on our own. We are helpless and hopeless to fix it. And so the story all throughout scriptures, as God progressively reveals himself to each of us, the progressive picture of scriptures all the way from beginning to end is of a redeeming God who knows and loves and has chosen to change people the sinless sacrifice of his son Jesus. It's as though God created and we made a mess. And so God came on his own as a willing sacrifice to die for those who could not change their lives. This is prophetic stuff in this text. So when Jesus says, man, who do the crowds say that I am? He's leading his disciples from one question to the next so that he can arrive at a full picture of who he is. Look back at the text again. Look back at the text again, and let's see what the disciples say. Look at verse 20. It says, Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And so here's the deal. After asking his disciples, What does everybody else out there say? Like, what's popular opinion? What does the TV say? What does your radio say? What do your friends say? What is the popular opinion regarding who I am? And after he's asked that popular opinion, now he kind of moves on. He says, okay, now tell me who you say. What he's, what he's literally doing is he's literally almost saying, okay, I get it. Now you know what the world says about me. You know what the mass crowds are saying about me. And I'm just wondering, are you buying into what they say? Are you as deceived as they are? Or have you been able to extract that one piece of truth? And do you know a little bit more than just that? Or are you just going to stay there where the crowds are? I want you to remember a passage. Some of you might know this passage in the scriptures. It says this. Wide is the road that leads to the destruction and many travel on it. Right? Narrow is the path and few who travel on it that leads to life. It's another passage. Many will come to me at that time and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many miraculous things in your name? And I will look at them and say, depart from me, for I never knew you. I never knew you. Listen, being able to answer this question about Jesus is more than just merely having religious answers because you heard a preacher say so. Being able to answer this question must flow deeply from somewhere deep inside where the Spirit of God has done a living work inside of you. 
This cannot just be some mere religious answer. What Jesus is concerned about with his disciples is he knows where things are headed. Jesus knows because he is God, because he is sovereign. He knows the picture. The plan was laid out long before the foundations of the earth were built. And so because Jesus knows this, he's asking this question of his disciples intentionally. He knows there's going to be hard times. There's going to be times when because of their proclamation of the faith, those who should have been their best friends would stab them in the back over and over and try for their murder. Think about it. You read the book of Acts, this is what's taking place. The entire nation of Israel turns on the disciples. People that were part of the same tribe as they were. People that had grown up in school with them, they had, quote unquote, stood on the street corner and recited the, 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 the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament together. This is where the disciples were headed and Jesus knew this. This was preparation for his disciples and where they were headed. And it's great preparation for you and I. Because the last thing that I believe that Jesus wants is for us to gather here this morning hear the preaching of his word and say, amen, pastor, good message. Without us all understanding, this is the most important question we can answer. And it cannot just be answered from some mere head knowledge because it's just mere head knowledge. There's no miraculous to it in the first place. The grace of God is this, that you and I would receive what we don't deserve. And what none of us deserve is to hear the message preached over us this morning. That's just one among a list of things that we've been given that we don't deserve because what we actually deserve is hell. And yet the grace of God appeared for a moment in the face of Christ despite the sin that you and I have struggled with and wrestled with, which then does not give us the right to continue in it, but to actually profess what Peter professes in this text. He says, you are the Christ of God. And catch this for a minute. After Jesus asks them, what does the crowd say? Now, what do you say? When Peter says, you are the Christ of God, the word Christ is not just Jesus' last name. It's a title. And the title Christ is synonymous with the same Hebrew language that means Messiah. And, and if you were to boil that word down, Messiah, what that means is anointed and chosen one, meant to be placed here as our sacrificial lamb. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. So what do we need to be saved from? The consequences of our sin. The scriptures are clear. Romans is clear. Paul is clear. All the scriptures from beginning to end is clear in painting the picture, not only through narrative and through prophetic scriptures, as well as through, through song and wisdom literature, but then also through deep doctrinal writings like the epistles, it is very clear that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The playing field is leveled. That there's nobody better than another. None. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say that not one person has sought God all of us have sought what's in our belly, meaning that our appetite is for those things which kill us and destroy us and cause mass destruction. But in the face of that, 
Jesus and all of his splendor and his grace and his mercy, withholding what we deserve and giving us what we don't deserve, has stepped into the moment as Jesus, the great prophet, the Christ, the Messiah of God, Peter says, meaning that he is the Messiah sent by our Father. This is no mere figment of the imagination. There are too many uncertain things about life that will happen. You and I will be left hopeless if we do not have this one thing to stand on. If you cannot say Christ is my rock upon whom I stand, under whom I hide, if you cannot say he is the rock of your salvation, then he is not your Messiah. If you cannot say that you know that Jesus died for your sins and gave his life willingly and was risen on the third day, and now because of your faith and your trust in him and because of God's grace at work in your life, you now are living a life whereby the power of the resurrection and the gospel message, and think about this, so many quote-unquote Christians today Claim to follow Christ, but don't have the power of the resurrection at work in their lives. This is the reason that people do not believe. This is the reason. This is the reason that people don't believe. We claim that there was a power that rose Christ from the dead, and yet our lives show complete weakness. If Jesus is your Messiah, then my prayer is that not only your words, but your life would prove it. And you must know that this is at the heart of what Jesus is asking his disciples. He knows that when the book of Acts comes, and when suffering and hardship and rejection comes, they're not being rejected because they're sinning. Think about this. The people who are following Christ in the New Testament are being rejected because of their complete sold-outness for God. Their complete sold-outness for Christ himself. You should think about this. When Peter and others stood in front of the Sanhedrin, they were beaten bloody. You and I don't face that yet. Here's what I believe. I believe that if we face suffering and rejection, much like they did in the book of Acts, I believe that over half of the American church today would melt away because we've compromised and we've tolerated. I'm not saying we should leave here and hatefully pursue others in our city who are living in sinful patterns. I'm saying we should love. But if you are gathered here today and you claim the name of Christ and you claim that his love has changed you, there should be some evidence of that. And it begins with answering this question, who is Jesus? If you were just to answer, he's a great prophet, and that was it for you, you would be giving an inadequate answer. If you were to answer today like Peter did and say, man, you are the Christ sent from God, it's, it's right you would have the right answer, but it's possible you only have it because you live in America and you hear it. It's possible that you may only have a religious answer. And I don't want anybody who is hearing this message to walk away from here and be able to say, I was never told. I was never told that, that just my words alone wouldn't be enough. They're not enough. It must be a deep heart experience. 
I don't want you to hear this gospel message, this false, heretical gospel message which says, I'm going to trust in Jesus and everything's going to be fine. I'm going to trust in Jesus and I'm going to get healthy, wealthy, wise, new cars and whatever because that's a heresy. It's deception. And it strips Jesus of who he really is. I also don't want you to hear this other gospel message of of escapism. This is huge for Americans because we as Americans don't know what suffering is. Yeah, my boyfriend left me. That's not suffering. Okay. Close friend of mine died. I get it. Trust me. I've had my mom died. That's not suffering. It's hard. Don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. I'm not trying to be hard for the sake of being hard. My point is, is that as Americans, we are spoiled rotten. We have always gotten what we wanted. We've never had to change. And when we don't like this thing, we go over here and do this thing. Because we live in a quote-unquote free country, which actually leads to slavery, which kills each of us. Because then we're left to our own devices. We are in slavery to the desires that are deep down inside. And oftentimes when confronted with those desires, we walk headlong into more. And the reason for this in America is not just because we're Americans, but it's because the true Jesus of the scriptures has not been brought to bear upon our lives. We've bought into religion or we've bought into escapism. That's where I was headed a little bit ago. Escapism is this idea that, man, when things get too hard and it just really sucks and it really, really hurts and this isn't any fun anymore, get me the heck out of here and get me somewhere else. I'm gonna leave this church and go to that church. I'm gonna leave this wife and go to that wife. I'm gonna leave this husband and go to that husband. I'm going to leave this job and go to that job. I'm going to leave this city and go to that city. It's escapism. This is where the idea of the rapture comes from. Uh, Don't hear me wrong. We're not going to hang there very long, okay? But the idea that God would come and rescue us from trials and tribulation, that's an American-made doctrine because we love the idea of escapism. And you tell that to the people in the book of Hebrews, who were sawed in half and had their guts ripped out of their body because of their profession of who Christ is. These are the places that Jesus knows his disciples are headed towards. They're headed towards certain hardship. And he's saying, you must know who I am. You must know who I am or you will give in in those moments. You will give in when sin lurks around the corner. You will give in when your friends tempt you and taunt you. You will give in when somebody, when somebody levels their accusations against you. You will give in and you will run and you will hide. And think about Peter. Think about Peter for a minute. When Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, Jesus has already seen this. And Jesus says, man, you will deny me three times. That's what Peter does. He had not yet come to a full revelation of who Jesus is. It's progressive revelation, meaning that something starts here and continues to be revealed to us until we have the full picture. Jesus is the Christ. He's also a great prophet. Look at verses 21 through 22. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So our family has a dog named Max. Some of you that have been to our house, you've met Max. 
Max is a, Max is a little brown, <clears throat> turd-colored. <laughs> he's, a, he's a great dog, man. I love Max. Okay? We, we had another dog for a while, and then we had somebody else's dog come visit us for a while. We won't talk about those dogs. Max, Max is really a good dog, okay? We've had him for a number of years. But one of Max's things is this, that, that when somebody is walking up to the house or when he sees a rabbit move, oftentimes, or a bird fly by, sometimes I just wonder if he barks at ants, but whenever he sees something in our front yard, he will just go absolutely bonkers and start going on this barking storm, right? And, and most of the time for us, like during the summertime when you can see out the windows, it's kind of annoying. And we're like, Max, shut up before I murder you. And <clears throat> he'll usually go and hide somewhere. You know, at night though, when it's dark and you can't see outside, or in the wintertime when the glass is fogged over and you can't, quite make out who's outside. It's kind of nice because we don't see the movement through the window oftentimes. And so it's nice to have Max there to alert us of who's coming. And this is what's happening in our text. We've moved from Jesus just being a great prophet to this religious idea that Jesus is my Savior, my personal Lord and Savior, right? That the evangelical church has done so good at teaching and then we've learned how to say that like lip service. We've moved all the way from those two things to now Jesus simply saying, let me tell you, let me unpack this. When you say that I am your Messiah, let me tell you what you're actually saying. Let me tell you what you're actually buying into. It's like Luke as he writes this story, or better yet, even Jesus, as he asks these questions, he has inductively moved his people to the big idea. And the big idea is this. That Jesus is the risen Son of God, which comes back to the idea of the power of the resurrection being at work in your life. It's essentially the same thing that we see happening in this section of text. As he writes it, he's writing this, he's writing his gospel so that we can be certain in the midst of great uncertainty about Jesus. He wants us to know that Jesus is who he says he is. So Jesus basically swings wide this door, right? He swings wide this door, and we can see him completely, like for the first time in the text. He says this. <clears throat> he says, hey, guys, I know what the crowd is saying about me, and I know what their opinion of me is. I know that there's like a thread of truth. I mean, notice that Jesus doesn't get super concerned about what the crowd is saying, whether it's right or wrong. He says, I know that you are saying some things about me. I know that what you're saying about me is kind of from an experiential standpoint, like a religious standpoint. You've been walking with me. You kind of get some pictures of who I am. But let me unpack this thing for you. This is kind of the dialogue that's taking place between Jesus and his disciples. Let me unpack this whole thing once and for all for you. I'm not just a risen prophet. I'm not a risen prophet. I'm the Christ. We do kind of wonder whether they get this or not, right? Let me tell you this, though. In this definitive way, Jesus is basically saying, let me tell you. Don't tell anybody about this yet either, right? And that whole thing kind of drives me crazy, like, 
Like he's about to tell them this really amazing truth about them himself, which will help to unpack the picture of who he is as the Messiah. And he says, don't share this with anybody yet. The time has not yet come. Because I'm the son of man. I've been sent by the Father to save people from their sin. And here's how I'm going to do it. Are you ready to hear? Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to save everyone in this way. I'm going to do it by suffering tremendously, by being rejected, so that I can pay the price. And I want you to just think about this picture for a minute because most of us, when we think about being saved, we think about somebody coming through in the last minute, kicking the crap out of the people that have been hurting us, right, and saving us, rescuing us from that really difficult place. And what Jesus says, it's not going to happen exactly that way. The disciples were always waiting for a king to come in and take back the city of Jerusalem and the temple. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting like for a warring king that would come in and turn everything around. And you might ask, what does that have to do with today? I want you to think of some of the policies and the politics that are happening in our nation in this moment. Agree or disagree completely doesn't matter. I want you to just think for a minute. There are things, we would all agree at least on this, there are things that are happening in America today that are ungodly. And so then we've got people that are going to war politically to try to change those things that are happening. And I'm not bashing on those who do that. It's not necessarily right nor wrong, I don't think. My point is this, though. The Jesus that you and I look to is not just coming back to change all those policies and all those political things. He's coming back to lay it to waste. That is the king that we get to look forward to. The scriptures in the book of Revelation say that when he comes back, he will come back on a white horse in his clothes drenched in blood with a sword coming out of his mouth and lightning bolts coming out of his eyes and a tattoo on his leg that says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the problem for the disciples is that's who they were looking for in that day. They weren't looking for the suffering savior, the suffering king. They were looking for the warring king. And what they got was a suffering king. And we needed a suffering king because without him, our sins could not be forgiven. What Jesus was making war on in this text, as we continue to read it, Jesus is making war on Satan, sin, and death, the clutches of evil that hold us. So I think when he says, hey guys, I've come to be rejected and to die and to be murdered and to be hurt, when he says this, I think it's kind of like a drop the microphone moment. And I think the disciples are like, what? Really? I still don't believe that they had completely gotten it. Question for you is this. Is some of this sinking in for you this morning? Are you beginning to understand who Jesus is? He's not just a religious icon. He's not someone that just sets you free from your pain and your suffering right now. He's not just somebody who, who comes in and necessarily saves the day. This isn't escapism. This isn't escape the pain of my life so I buy into Jesus. This is Jesus, the one who willingly gave his life for you so that you can no longer be held captive to the sin in your life. prayer is that maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time for some of you, you can begin to answer this question about who Jesus is from a deep heart understanding. And maybe for the first time, the complete simplicity and insanity of the certainty of who Jesus is would become clear to you. 
Let me invite our music team to just come on back forward. As they're coming, I want to tell you a quick story. My prayer is that this story connects. Friday night, we were awoken at 2 o'clock in the morning by somebody knocking on our door. Which is kind of scary because it's not very often that somebody knocks on our door at 2 o'clock in the morning. And so our, our kids were, were out in the front room and they were... They had already looked out the door and could kind of make out an image of someone standing on our porch. And our dog, Max, I told you about him, was going insane, barking. <clears throat> I'll have you know, I sleep with a 9 millimeter and a 40 caliber right next to my bed. So I grabbed my 9 millimeter Desert Eagle, Baby Eagle, and I, and I got it, and I chambered around, and I made sure the hammer was down and the safety was off. And I instructed Chrissy to take the kids in the bedroom and leave the door cracked open so she could see what happened. And as I looked out the door, there was a man who I didn't know, at least from what I could tell, standing on my front porch. And he was texting, but he was rocking back and forth. And he just stood there, kept rocking back and forth. And I thought, man, what is going on? And so I kid you not, I, I, I I reached forward, I opened the door, and I immediately did this number. As I opened the door, gun is against his forehead. Kid you not. Gun's against his forehead. And I said, sir, I don't know who you are, but you better get off my porch. And he goes, oh, no, sir, this is my house. This is my house. And I said, no, this is not your house. Get off my porch. And he began to push in to my door. And I watched the hammer on my 9mm go back. And I immediately dropped it and I shoved him in the chest and he flew about two or three steps back and I again put the gun up. And guess what? He clearly saw for the first time that there was a gun pointed at him. What do you think he did? His response was, I'm getting the heck out of here. It was gone. Took off. There's more to the story, but I'll leave it there because my point is this. When you come to a clear picture of who Jesus is, You must respond. The decision is yours. The ball is in your court. You can walk around and fake it and pretend and say, I'm a Christian, but when I leave church today, I'm going to go back to living the way I used to. I'm going to go back to sleeping with broads and doing drugs and getting trashed and manipulating the situation and talking trash. You can do that all you want. But the point is this. You have not made a response to the Jesus of the scriptures yet. Because when you make a response to the Jesus of the scriptures, you walk differently. My prayer and my hope for you, for everyone hearing this message, is that when you come face to face with the certainty of who Jesus is, that you would see the grace and the mercy poured out for you on behalf of you so that you could become his and become part of his family. I say this all the time. We all live as enemies of Christ until Jesus saves us. And then when Jesus saves us, we begin to live like his kids. And that's my hope and my prayer for us today is that God would have progressively revealed to you from the beginning of this message until now who Jesus is. Because your answer to that question is the most important question of all time about the most important person in the entire universe. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to preach this message. Lord, I pray for us as we 
go into worship. Lord, I pray for our hearts, God. Lord, I pray that you would do work. I pray, God, that you would save some this morning. I am not naive. In fact, I know for sure there are some in this room today because they're only attracted because this is interesting. There are some who are here that are, they're only here because their girlfriend or their boyfriend or a friend brought them here and that's it. Pray, God, that you would move them past that to a saving knowledge of your grace made visible in the face of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would help us all to continue to surrender to you, to fall upon our face in front of you as you have prophetically spoke truth through the preaching of your word, as we have seen that you have given yourself as our Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the lamb who was slain, the perfect sinless person who was given on behalf of us, that you planned this out, that you came. God, help us to respond to that. Help us to find assurance and clarity and certainty in the fact that you have loved us so much that you would come to be rejected and that you would come to suffer horrendously in our place. Help us to see our own earthly suffering as being so small. Help us to love you and follow you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks for letting me preach today, guys. I love you. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.